Hello, my dear sweet listeners. Legs Malone here wishing you a very warm and happy hello and how are you? I am so excited to be bringing this wonderful episode to you today. For those of you who are subscribers and regularly tune in to Lunch with Legs, you may have noticed that our episodes are not as frequently posted uh, as I would certainly like and perhaps as you would certainly like, but rest assured that we are working on bringing you some excellent episodes. We actually have a whole bunch lined up and ready to go. It's just a matter of me recording these little introductions and the outros and getting them to my amazing producer, David Lawrence Bird, to then stitch them together and bring them to you in a fabulously audible format. So apologies for all of the delays. It's just life is happening. I'm sure you guys can, you know, vibe with that. And in the spirit of life happening, I am so, so, so excited to bring our interview today to your very ears featuring the incredible Carolyn Castilla. She is a mother. She is a blogger. She is a comedian. She is a talk show host of New York City's only late night feminist talk show called Right Now with Carolyn Castilla. She does so many things that, honestly, it just makes my head spin. And she is such a kind and loving and warm person. And I am so, so grateful to her for having taken some time out of her very hectic schedule to come speak with us. Just a little note, if you guys are loving what you're hearing and you want to show your love in a financial way, there is a little button on the lunchwithlegs.com website. And you can go there, you can PayPal a little something, something, show your love that way. It can be a one-time gift, it can be a recurring gift. Whatever you feel moved to give will be graciously received with thanks. And uh, yeah, you might even get something in the mail from me. I do like to thank our donors with little handwritten notes complete with naked bookmarks of yours truly because... Reading is important, you know, and uh, so are bookmarks. you got to keep your place. What better way to do it than with a very unclothed moi? <laughs> anyway, enough chatting. Uh, let's go ahead and dive on in. So, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead, pull up a chair, get nice and comfortable, pour yourself a cup of something good, and get ready for my interview with the incredible Carolyn Castilia. Carolyn Castiglia, thank you so much for taking time out of your amazingly busy life to come and be interviewed for my podcast. Oh my God, thank you for having me in your gorgeous palatial art palace gallery <laughs> home. I was Thanks. just saying, I was like, don't worry, start the interview and I'll just keep commenting <laughs> on all your shit after we record. She's got, if you people don't know, she lives in this amazing sort of wide open crystal hippie <laughs> homage to burlesque and it's like the most amazing place I've ever been in in New York. I was thinking if you wanted to offer a service of healing uh -huh. you could invite every single New Yorker over just one at a time. Just to come <laughs> absorb the vibes. Yeah, just yeah. you know get the view and you know <laughs> and kind of soak it in and then be like alright next. And you then know. back out into downtown Brooklyn. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. Kick you out onto the street. <laughs> Enjoy the ride down. <laughs> if you try hard enough, this could be yours. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that the yeah, message yeah. they're always telling exactly. us? Exactly. 
next. <laughs> the American, the New York American dream. Yeah, and um, as soon as you walk out of the building, somebody pees on you, and it's just a beautiful. Yeah, or showers contrast. you. Um, showers you with um, those mini bar bottles. You know, there's there's there's, there's <laughs> yeah. one guy who wanders around here. I don't know if he's homeless. I'll, what I do know is that he has, he likes to drink and especially those tiny little bottles of things. And there will be times I'll walk out of the building, especially like walking the dog first thing in the morning. And there will just be a pile of tiny little nips, tiny little bottles, like just, a, but, but a proper pile, not in a bag, just like dumped on the <laughs> sidewalk. And it's like, well, I guess that guy's been here again. That's like, funny. <laughs> I got one of those in a swag bag recently. Ah, Which I thought was, was it a very good alcohol. That is a fun. Yeah, it was for some high-end vodka, but just like the teeny tiniest little bottle. Uh-huh. And I thought this is like what it's like to carry just that one emergency Xanax. <laughs> you know, but you just just it's the because I don't have a I don't have a script, but it just the tiny little whatever it was, Grey Goose or something. Oh I don't know. So absolute. I think over. it was absolute. Yeah, I'm oh not like God. a big vodka person, but I just thought. This is very funny. Yeah. What a funny gift. Yeah, I guess in, in like a bag with other things, it makes sense. Like certainly from burlesque shows, like in raffles, like it would be a treat to get like, oh, wow, I paid $5 for a raffle ticket and I just won a bunch of crap and this little tiny thing of alcohol. But yeah, then, yeah, like, yeah. I guess in a swag bag, it's not so bad, but as like a gift gift. Well, no, I mean, it was well. just part of the swag, <laughs> but I just thought it was very cheeky to like, because, you know, the, the swag bags that you get as a performer... Usually they're full of shit. I mean, it's like a random coaster with some company's name on it, you know, like a T-shirt that doesn't fit you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a coupon. A lot of them have coupons. Do you get gift cards ever? Sometimes, I've yeah. A couple of gift cards. Yeah. What are the worst ways you've been paid for a gig oh, that, that are not money? My God, that are, that is an amazing question. Um, just, I'm interviewing legs, by the way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to lunch with Carolyn. Uh, <laughs> if we're just um, eating vodka. I, yep, exactly. Uh, I would have to say, well, I think one of the worst, it was actually a tip um, that I ever got was um, this guy leaned up to me. I was like, oh, you know, tips, tips going around. He just looked over to me. He was so happy with himself. Just leaned over and said, don't eat the yellow snow. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's like, like Really? You, really, you don't have a dollar? Like, yeah, yeah, on, yeah, man. yeah. A handful of quarters? I mean, I would never ask for change like that, but I, like I assume you've waitressed at some point. Yes. Yeah, so, like, would people would write notes on the... And I'm not talking about the stuff that you see on the oh internet now where it's like, F you, lady, the food was cold. Not that. I'm t- Like, they, they would literally think that they were so smart and cheeky and be like, you know, here's, a, here's your tip and, like, write a smile or whatever. It just... I would rather give you all my money and have people like you be eradicated completely <laughs> than than get your stupid tip. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just like, yeah. go away forever. Whoever does that, just, go away. So I am imagining you have waitressed as well. Oh, my God. You've, have you been in the service industry? I mean, I think most people who perform... Um, have at some point worked in the service industry, one way or another. For many, many years. And, um, you know, Amy Sedaris. Yeah. So she, I thought this was so great. In in a pretty recent interview, she was like, I still go in and do a waitressing shift once in a while just to, like, stay in touch. Yeah. And then she was on this show at Caroline's where she was being interviewed 
running late with Scott Rogowski, uh, and she opened up the the floor to the audience. And so I said, you know, do you still do that? Because I read that about you, and I thought that was so cool. And she was like, well, unfortunately, I kind of can't now just because I'm too recognizable. Yeah. But she said, I love waitressing. I miss it so much. I love the people and running around and wow. just the feel of ones. <laughs> And I was like, girl, you could strip. I was just about to say, I, I know a couple places where if you really like the feeling of $1 bills, yeah. I, yeah. I could hook you up with some. We'll get you on a show, Amy. <laughs> You'll make literally dozens of dollars. Yeah, the audience at Coney Island won't know oh who you are. God. Just put enough shit on your face. Nobody will know. Could you imagine? She would do an amazing burlesque routine, don't you think? She would be un. Believable, <laughs> you know, of, of famous people who I would love to see do a burlesque act. Amy Sedaris is absolutely up there, along yeah. with her brother. I would love to see him do yeah. a burlesque act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I think he would be terrified somehow. I feel like that would make it all the more endearing. That's true. Because That's then we true. don't want to just read the story for afterwards. Because he would, I would hope, write about it. I'm sure he would. Oh, and I'm then, sure he would. You know, That's a great stunt. You should yeah. email him and be like, "Listen, Dear David, <laughs> I got the first, first story for your basis. next book." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so obviously you're supposed to be interviewing me, but I'm boring and I don't care. You're not boring, but I also, I, I, one of the things I love about my show is it's just a conversation. Well, so I want to ask you, cause I sure. love burlesque and, um, I don't know if we talked about this the last time we saw each other, but comedy and burlesque used to be sort of much more, uh, sibling like. Mm -hmm. And, and as the years have gone on, they've kind of gone their separate ways and it may are coming back together a little bit now, I feel. But um, I did a burlesque comedy show recently that um, was really fun. Was I, it stand up and take your clothes off? Yes. I love those ladies. Yes, I they're great. I interviewed them for my podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. great. They're magnificent. So I didn't know Karen that well, and I still don't, but I just think she's so funny. And that was the first night that I had really seen her on stage. And I was like, I just want to hang out with you forever and talk to you. Um, and what's her partner's name? Um, All right, we'll edit this part out. Kitten. kitten. Yeah, she and she was great. I, I was thinking of her real name. She prefers Kitten Kent. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, and their show was great. And one of the girls on their show did this hilarious burlesque act where the song was, you know, that song, she can't help it, the girl can't yes. help it. Oh no, whatever. <laughs> so. So the, it's, uh, you got me tripping, oh, stumbling, oh. So she comes out, and she's on crutches with a neck brace, and so her whole striptease was taking all of the medical equipment off. And I just thought it was so funny. And then she did kind of eventually get down to the goods, right? And uh, I was like, you know, I feel like burlesque performers are so creative, constantly seeking new ways to be entertaining with mm -hmm. the same because it's a very limited art form in one way like ultimately absolutely the big finish is the same every time right so then you've got to like find ways not just to make it entertaining for the audience because they're there for tits they're there for tits right. but for yourself and I, so I think that's so um it's such a good challenge i was really thinking about that like how do you make kind of the same thing more and more creative every time for yourself. Yeah. And it's a fantastic question. I mean, with regards to what you just said about, you know, like how the ending is always the same, that's actually one of the ways that we can play with the act. It's called the big reveal. Mm -hmm. And whatever the quote-unquote punchline or ultimate reveal of the act is, and it doesn't have to be just removal of the bra. It can be a punchline of a joke. Uh, it can be, 
you know, just some, like I, I do an act where I am in veils. It's like a dance of the seven veils. And the last thing I remove, I go down to just Pacey's and a Merkin. And the last thing I remove is my face veil. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, oh, hey, there's that. But there's, um, I've, I remember interviewing Dirty Martini years ago for um, a magazine piece. And she told me that art should always challenge the viewer. And I would like to take that and take it one step further, which is if, Art is no longer challenging or even interesting to the artist. Change it immediately, because yeah, if, say that again. If art is no longer interesting or, or challenging, challenging to, to the, the artist, artist who is producing it immediately, and yeah, it and make it interesting. A, yeah. Because if it's boring to you, it's going to be boring to your audience. No shit. Right? Because if you and you are, see that all the time in stand-ups. Absolute, stand-ups are like, same thing dude, I guys. just had to scrap my whole act because I was done with it. Yeah. You know, and that's. You know, for me, I'm always trying to, like, work in levels of immediacy. Always, always, always. And I think that's... That's a talent. I mean, that's... It is a talent. And I have to say, I have come to... I've been doing comedy for a long time. And as a woman, as a woman who was raised the way she was raised with a really mean mother and the oppressor's voice really in my head... Mm -hmm. um, which is why I'm a comic, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, we all deal with our traumas. In yeah, <laughs> exactly. Someone laughs, someone applauds when they take their clothes off in front of rooms full of strangers. <laughs> no, comics want applause when they take their clothes off. They just wait till it's one on one, right? And it's like, what do you think? <laughs> Ta da! <laughs> um, but so uh, I, I, I have come to appreciate that part of my talent overall is a complete skill set and the package that I present and who I am is um, working from a very strong place of immediacy. Mm. And the critical voice, the oppressor's voice, would say, you don't polish your stuff enough, you're not writing enough, you're relying too heavily on your improvisational skills. Well, fuck you voice (laughs) because I'm actually extremely talented in a way that a lot of people wish they were. Absolutely. (laughs) And thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. Like there's so many people more so women, but men as well who remain underneath that oppressor's voice. I really like that term, Mm -hmm. you know, what other people would call an inner judge or whatever. And you know, a lot of people don't have the sustained courage to keep saying no to that voice mm-hmm. and end up limiting themselves. Or they go haywire and go the other way and, like, you know, stop all discernment around their acts. And it's like, oh, that could actually have used some, like, mm-hmm. little tightening up. But, I mean, for you to, you know... Well, and that's a great point. It is a, it. It's a balance, right? So you have to sort of lean into your talent and not be ashamed of your skill and your your inherent skill, but then also bring discipline to your inherent skills. Yeah, you know, because uh, I don't I don't mean to like you said swing the pendulum completely to the other side. I don't have to do that in order to embrace who I am and what my skills are. I can, you know, and I think when you really have real self love, that's when you actually find that healthy place of, mm-hmm. you know, I'm proud of who I am and what I do and always working to get better and be better. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, that in, 
I feel in a nutshell speaks a lot to sort of supporting oneself through the artistic process, especially as a solo artist. Not and by solo artist, I mean not working in a team or you know doing production for an artist. You know, being like the sole voice. Because you, I mean, as with burlesque performers, I'm sure comedians are the exact same. You write your own material, you perform your own material, you do your own bookings, you do everything. Everything. And there's no one to fall back on. Mm-hmm. It's 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 you, and that's it. Do you ever talk about that or think about it? I, I mean, we all know it, but I feel like nobody ever talks about it because it's such, it's so overwhelming to think it's about. Huge, like, absolutely. what is the just the immense amount of drive that is involved in that? I think if you almost stared it down. <laughs> You'd be like, wait, I'm nuts. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Do you know what I mean? I've Absolutely. never really thought about it. I mean, I know that that's who we are and that's what we do and that's how we work. But really thinking, like, I think you get to a certain point. Like, how long have you been doing what you're doing? I just celebrated my ninth anniversary. Okay, so that's a long time. Once you get into the, like, nine to 12 years or exactly. whatever. How long have you been doing comedy? 12 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, almost 13. Um and so, no, no, yeah, almost 13. Um, and so, you know, you feel like, okay, like I know who I am. This is like absolutely a long enough time period to be able to say, I'm expert at this, mm-hmm. you know, not as expert as I'm ultimately going to be when I'm 20, 25 years in, but like, I'm actually, like, you can't question my legitimacy yeah. at this point. And so, um, wait, what What did you say right before? It was in between the, like, uh, working solo, and then I got into uh, this. The working solo, I mean, creating your own stuff, no safety nets. Um, yeah, I forgot what launched me into that. This is what happens. I have mommy brain. So pe- there are not that many performers with kids, right, that are yeah, women. Exactly. And so... Uh, here I am. My daughter's almost 10. She's over here in the corner hanging out playing on the iPhone. <laughs> and, um, like, I'm one of those, like, how do you do it, people? You know, everybody's like, how do you do it? How do you do what you do? And what's interesting is that people have stopped asking me mm. <laughs> at this point because I'm just assumed to kind of be able to do it, you know? And that's yeah. really interesting. Oh, now I'm, I'm getting all over the place now. No, do it. But, like, um... I was talking to this guy, Mark Pagan, who I just met recently, who works at Brick uh, Arts Media in yeah, downtown Brooklyn, totally. right around the corner. I saw your tweet. Yes, happening. yes. So my talk show right now with Carolyn Castilia is making its way into Brick, and we're going to uh, film it with a live studio <gasps> audience. And then it's going to air on Brooklyn for, Public Access. I apologize for mispronouncing It's okay. Everybody name. does. I let it Castilia, go. Let Castilia. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I blame Mike Birbiglia. You know, he... <laughs> He fucked up the Italians, but that's okay. But this is so exciting. My God, when does filming begin and air? Well, so it's good. It's a little bit of a process, as everything is, right? And people don't always, uh, the audience is not always privy to how much work goes into getting something together. So um, my crew, which is made of all women, um, they're going to be training and certified to work at the Brick Studios, and then once the certification process is complete, which is going to take the month of October pretty much, then we'll we'll film uh, between two or three episodes before the end of the year. Wow. Um, yeah, and so those will all air, and then more stuff happening in the spring, but we're not there yet. Um, 
So I, I will let everybody know once we have our Hold, first yes. taping date and air date. But to, oh so to go back, because if I don't go back, I'll miss that point. Totally. And then the people will be like, what is this lady talking about? <laughs> she can't fucking remember a thought. How is she going to host a show? Uh, it is Saturday, so, you know, we're in chill mode. <laughs> totally. Um, but so uh, when I met Mark at my friend's uh, post-fringe party, um, we were talking about uh, when people assume or, or see you as a very strong, together person, they often don't think to check on you or ask if you need help. And a friend of mine, a couple years ago now, she, uh, you know, when I was like recovering from a divorce and newly living as a single mother mm. in Brooklyn, you know, she was like, well, I think everybody thinks you're just like fine. <laughs> and I explained that to Mark and he was like, well, how does that make you feel? And I said, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel terrible. But I have observed that this is true about me. And and it doesn't make me upset with anybody, but it's been an interesting experience because if I need help, I have to ask for it. Yeah, nobody's gonna no one ever calls me and says, how you doing, you okay? Not, I shouldn't say never. Yeah. I have a few friends who will do that, but I'm the type of person that people turn to which is fine. I love that. I yeah. love being somebody who is perceived as knowledgeable and caring because I am those things. But it is very interesting to, to sort of like think like people stopped asking me how I do it all because they just they just go, well, she just does, you know. Yeah. And but when people did ask me that, I would always kind of go, you know, I don't know. I just do it, yeah. you know. And um, I almost think that's good advice, you know. It's like just kind of just do it. Like try not to think so much about how you're going to get everything done. And, uh, well, I refer to this a lot. It's Anne Lamott's bird-by-bird bird theory, mm -hmm. you know. One step at a time, one day at a time. And when I started going to therapy four years ago, my therapist was like, look, because I, I would get overwhelmed and flustered, and she was like, you can't do everything every day. So one day, you're really like next level momming it where you guys go to a festival and you have fun and you're spending quality time. And then the next day, you clean your house. And then the next day, you do your writing. And then the next day, you take a meeting. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah. And just, Break it down. that's just how it goes. You can't do everything every day. Yeah. And so that's how I do all the things that I do is that I just do one thing every day. That's brilliant. I mean, that's the way <laughs> to do it. No, but it's like it's so beautiful and simple in yeah. that sense because, I mean, especially, I mean, I think living in this moment as a woman, certainly as a single mother, but I think, you know, living in New York City now, especially in the age of smartphones and, like, everything moving faster than the speed of light, I think there's an inherent need to feel that, you know, we're part of everything, that we're doing everything all the time, that we're, like, mm -hmm. I mean, and being able to, again, engage that ability of discernment and say, like, no, 
what can I do right now? Like Mother Teresa said, like, oh, you can't save a thousand people? Save the person closest to you or help Mm. the person closest to you. Mm -hmm. You know, like, don't let yourself be overwhelmed by the bigness of it all. Break it down so that you can manage it. Because at the end of the day, what's the point? I think this is so important, what you're talking about with the smartphones and social media and stuff, because, um, and and luckily, this is kind of um, an observation I made at the very beginning of the internet, right? Like um, a friend of mine this morning, I was talking to her on the phone while Adriana was in dance and, and she was like, you know, you really were at the beginning of blogging. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, my friend Nichelle Stevens uh, roped me in really early on and she was like, this is the future, get in now. And uh, so I've watched as as the internet has morphed into what it is now and yeah. social media. And so back in the very beginning, I was like, you know, there's perception and there's reality. And when you're dealing with image all the time, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the perception of who people are and ignore the reality, you know, which is that they take shits just like you and their house is probably a mess, except for Legs Malone. God damn it. You did not see the hour and a half prior to you coming over. Oh, did you do like a crazy woman cleanup? Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I love that. When you're like vacuuming with one leg and cleaning. Oh, yeah, telling the cat to get out of the fridge on the other (laughs) hand. Yeah, totally, totally. But so, you know, and uh, so, and people obviously talk about that all the time with Facebook. Like, I know that your life is not as good as it appears and all these photos and stuff. Mm -hmm. For, For my part in that, I try to send out imagery and status updates, thoughts, feelings, whatever, that, that represent the reality of my life in a positively amplified way. Mm. So it's not about, the intent is not like, look how great I am, be jealous. The intent is more like, life is hard, we can persevere anyway, find strength to do the things that you love. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, People get swept up. I don't know why. It's like a great pot. Every time I do a podcast, it's like a great time to get emotional. Because <laughs> people love it's. There's something about the audio medium where it's just like, you know, it's not about being seen. It's just about talking. And yeah. so once you get talking, um, it's, it all ties in with like the perception and then also like being willing to ask for help. The older I get, the more I see our community losing people, right, due to natural causes. Also, I had a friend who committed suicide. It happens, you know, and and in artistic communities, you know, there's there's substance abuse problems and and all kinds of stuff. And so I, I feel like I'm getting to an age now where I'm like, don't buy into all that shit, Totally. You know, like, yeah, feel yourself, stay real. Oh, my God. Everything you're saying right now, like, I wish I could, like, bottle up. and, (laughs) You know, because I feel like what you're talking about right now, I mean, certainly as a woman who is making it on her own and is being successful about it and telling the truth about it and not putting a gloss over it, um, I feel like that is... 
a reality check or at least a balance of reality that is so important for people to tap into and for people to have as a touchstone because especially now in our society, everything is so image centric Mm -hmm. and there is a very warped sense of value placed on image alone, which Mm -hmm. is usually a flat image that has been photoshopped that has been, you know, ascribed who knows what with some pithy quote over it or something to like be like, Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, Everything's a meme now. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Even when people take pictures of their babies, the baby is holding a sign. I'm a month old. Oh really? Did you write that? Really <laughs> <laughs> because I thought you were seventeen. You know, I just remember I don't know. It and not to criticize Certainly. anybody who partakes in that Certainly. because it's what's happening. Yeah. So how do you not get swept up in it and we all experiment with image and stuff like that but you know I think it's so important to be in your flesh you know and I think that that's Mm. why dance to me is always the greatest art form because it is about expressing the fullness of one's humanity exactly like (laughs) last weekend we went to the Mark Morris open house oh yeah and there was a you know, we took a couple classes, and then there was a you performance. Took one oh, we took one class. I'm because sorry. You said that you didn't want to do another That's right. I got too tired. <laughs> I stand corrected by my fact checker in the corner. Thank you. Um, that's hilarious. This is like, she's she's my manager. You Amazing. know what I mean? Amazing. She's, um, Keep me honest. Yeah, and she didn't even look up from the phone, by the right. way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I wanted to take a second class, and then I was like, I can't. Um, so anyway, so we but we, we went to the performance, and um, these little ki- not little kids, but like 13, 14 year old girls came out, and they were in the youngest student company, and they just started doing this modern piece, and right away I was like, ah, 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 ah. Like, really from this place of, like, I know Pickles. Pickles just came to see if I was okay. She's the dog. Um, So, so, um, yeah, because just watching them move, and there's something about modern. I don't know if you have a lot of dancers who listen, but, you know, there's really something beautiful about modern dance in particular because... um, the virtuosity of it is not necessarily technical. It's like um, emotional. Yeah. I think it is. It is the the technique centers around driving emotion. Mm-hmm. And maybe ballet does that in some way, and maybe other forms of dance do that in some way. But there's something about modern dance to me that's just like Ugh! pure emotive. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's because it's because it's from the gut and it's all of that, like concaving out your spiritual center and throwing that into the middle of a room. And yeah. And and on top of it, you know, peeling away any level of like programmed movement, you know, reinstilling the dancers with a sense of authenticity. I mean, it's clearly trained muscles, trained shapes. But for me, a, a successful dance performance is when you see the souls of yeah. the people coming out and moving. And the, yeah. their, their body is almost secondary to the expression. Oh, God, you're so right. You <laughs> took me there with that. <laughs> I got chills. Yes. For me, it's, it's what I feel about burlesque. I mean, one of the things I love about burlesque is how body positive it is. 
Um, yeah, and well, we should talk about that unless you've talked about to. this no, ad no, no, nauseum. No, 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 no. This Does is this come up all I, the time? It comes up not all the time on the podcast, but okay. in, my, in my waking life, absolutely. It's something I feel very strongly about. Because what I've heard from a few gals that I run into here and there is that, you know, from back in the day when <clears throat> when um, the post-art star, early alt-comedy, neo-burlesque vaudeville scene was happening... Uh, centered around the East Village, yeah. I would say. Yeah, early mid '90s. Yeah, and and well, even I came in in the early 2000s, and it was still kind of that way. Um, you know, it was it was all about any and every weirdo who wanted to just put themselves on display in this way, and it was very purposely subversive, and yada yada. Which is not to say that it excluded beautiful women who meet the beauty standard, but just that it was for everyone. Mm -hmm. And that over time, it, it kind of morphed into this thing that was like, no, it's for hot girls, yeah. you know, which is funny because it's just like the gentrification of a neighborhood, right? It's like all the weirdos and artists move in and make it nice, make it nice. Yeah. And then it's too nice. Exactly. Yeah. And then the people with the money start coming in and calling the shots. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with regards to burlesque, I mean, there's nothing like the unclothed female form. And yeah, it's true. In, in all of its shapes, somebody sizes. make a pillow <laughs> that says that. In all of it, in, you know, in the unclothed female form, all ages, shapes, sizes, colors, textures, you name it. I mean, there is there is something absolutely mythically beautiful about it. And when people can lift their sort of prescribed perceptions of the female form, like, oh, what is what is a good body? What is a hot body? What is not? You know, it's like, fuck that noise. Like, that, that has no part in any dialogue. Unfortunately, it is a part because of the institutionalized male gaze or however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Typically, when you go to a burlesque show and it's all, like, super hot, quote-unquote, women, like, all skinny, primarily white, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nine times out of ten, well, maybe eight times out of ten, there's a man producing that show. Mm -hmm. But when women start producing, that's when you start to see lots of different bodies getting mm -hmm. up there. And for me, what I was going to say originally, and I've said this a lot, the success, a successful burlesque act is when the body falls away and you just see the spirit of the person. And for me, that is the great enlightener. It is the great equalizer. I have had people come up to me and other performers in shows that I've been in or shows that I've produced with tears in their eyes saying like I never saw you know certainly a performer of color you know with a huge beautiful bottom covered in cellulite shake it and put the entire audience flat on their ass mm -hmm. you know it's like in what other medium could that happen mm -hmm. it, it can't right now so what is it for you about burlesque in particular I think a lot of people maybe in the real quote-unquote dance world would sh would shit on it? Sure. I mean, there's some people who say there's um, uh, one of the only performers with a PhD in burlesque. Her name's Dr. Lucky. She actually teaches at NYU. Dr. Lucky! <clears throat> yeah, she's amazing. She, you know, and says and always says it, you know, um, will say before saying this, she said, this is a controversial statement, but burlesque is an amateur art form. And there are plenty of people but who disagree. But she means that in a positive way. She, I mean, she, I feel like she's just stating it as fact. Like, it's I like see. burlesque is a fantastic hobby. It's, you know, th like very few people make a living off of doing burlesque. I mean, there are, certainly are the ladies who do, um, many of whom are based in New York. But 
at the end of the day, you know, there's, it's not what it used to be. Like you go back into vaudeville, even like meeting some of the legends who are the burlesque performers from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s who come back and perform every June in Las Vegas. Which oh, is wow. Unbelievable. You have not lived until you've had a 72-year-old grandma turn you on. I will. <laughs> Question your own sexuality and be like, what? Huh? What? what did I just see? Is she single? No, 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 no. I can't. Oh, that's hilarious. But um, it's, I mean, it is, it's such an unleasher of truth, I feel, because people are only, or especially women, you know, are only as boxed in as they allow themselves to be. And when, especially... Well, as, yes, I mean, that's a hard thing to hear in a way because absolutely. there are so many constraints on us that of are external. Course. Of course. But ultimately, that is true. It's very hard to push against those external constraints, but that is what life requires of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I mean... Um, this is, this is making me think about my master's thesis in which I was talking about the difference between game and play. Mm. Game is all about structure. It is, it provides, play is random. Play is pure essence of the moment that cannot be repeated. It is, it is chaos, for lack of a better term. And the game provides the structure to contain that chaos, to give rules, to give structure. And so keeping those two elements in mind, you know, especially at working in a, an industry, being comedy, that is primarily male-led, male-populated, you know, I imagine the constraints are going to be pretty, you know, tight. I mean, I could say the same thing about burlesque. I mean, I have seen art on a burlesque stage, art performed that has changed my life that I know I can never see on television, that I can never see in a bigger medium unless somebody makes a movie about it and mm -hmm. everybody gets to see that movie. But even then, you know, it's so limited in that way because burlesque is dangerous. Well, interesting points related to what you just said. Number one, um, so I've done four live shows of Right Now with Carolyn Castilia at the Slipper Room. and I saw that. I wanted to come to the last one. I couldn't Yeah, and it. the last one was just like way next level tremendous. Oh, amazing. Um, and Adrian Truscott was on it. And she Incredible. did a burlesque act all the way down. To, to the bottom wow. <laughs> and just completely naked by the end and it was terrific and it was a statement <laughs> on street harassment and we talked about the Bill Cosby rape issue and it, and it was hilarious I mean that's the beauty of the thing is that you know Absolutely. to do all of this within the context of comedy is like thrilling oh. um, so that's something that for example I want to put on TV yeah. you know and I'm going to yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and that feels really exciting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because somebody needs to come along and do that. And apparently it's going to be me. And when you get to feel that level of calling, nothing can stop you. Yep. Like I know that I am absolutely beyond stopping at this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's beyond me now. Mm -hmm. You know, the train is going and I'm not even driving it anymore. I'm just waiting to see what happens and staying in the moment with it. Yeah. Um, and that, and that is what is so exciting too about doing stand up now is that I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not there to do your white male setup punch stand up. I'm yeah. not. And if I want to borrow from that as you have created it for me, I, you know, applaud you. Um, in your efforts and the ways that you are funny, but I am here to do what I do. And I've been like walking in that for a while now, but the other day I was in my phone and I went to write a set list and I just typed, Carolyn, be yourself, do what you do, be great. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's an ace set list and right that, there. I know. Wow. My friend Christian Polanco was like, that's a, that's a good closer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, so like, it's not that I devalue what the, the men offer. I don't, obviously, you know, they have been largely influential in the field of stand up comedy, but there have been women since the beginning. Yeah. And I was telling jokes before I knew I was telling jokes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, at this point, I will never have that taken away from me. Yeah. And I don't even, I don't even entertain the discussion anymore, yeah. but not in a way that ignores the problem. I get a little bit frustrated when women feel a really strong need to distance themselves so much that they're like, I don't, I can't, I won't even, there's no problem. Everything's fine. I'm here. Obviously we're all here. Just shut up. Just shut up. Don't say yeah, anything. I, when you, you say know, that, I just see like a spaceman just like floating <laughs> each other in space. Just like, well, thanks for disconnecting yourself from the conversation. Yeah, exactly. You know, there is a problem, but it is changing. And you know, what actually changes it is every woman not being afraid to be who she is. You know, and and kind of I, I I don't think even if you are somebody, even if you are that woman who would rather not be political about it or whatever, I get that. And if that's your strategy, if that's your survival technique, fine. But don't so blatantly side with the men. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you can kind of move forward without ever commenting on it and and without ever even blatantly siding with the women. But when you become a traitor like that, and that's a dramatic way to say it, but it's sort of like... It is a betrayal on a level. Yeah, level. it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you doing that? They don't love you. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help but wonder, you know, how much of that happens out of fear. You know, of course, of like, it's of course. You know, fear of rejection, fear and of... Self-hatred and self-hatred. And self-hatred. Yeah, there's uh, um, one of my favorite affirmations that I use a lot and that made a huge difference in my life when I first learned about it was my vulnerability is my strength. Yes, Brene Brown, yes. My vulnerability is my strength. And it's the God's honest truth. Yeah. You know, because when we can stand up and be be willing to be seen as we are without having to put on a cloak or a mask or, you know, some little song and dance, as it were, proverbially speaking, and instead just show me like, hey, this is me. This mm -hmm. is what I have to offer. Um, end of story. Well, and for me now, challenging myself in my art, it, 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 one of the ways I want to get better is by pushing harder and harder and harder into 
my feminism, mm. which is like already so out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> You're you. welcome. Oh. You know, because it is so powerful and I feel like in touch with the gods when I do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're, you're fulfilling your purpose. Yeah, and also that perhaps ironically is when I become the most male mm. and they love it. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's not because I'm becoming male, but it's because I show a full person with masculine and feminine attributes who's not afraid to take up space and be loud yep. which is not to say i'm not talking about a comedy aesthetic i'm not saying you have to take up space and be loud there are plenty of people who are dry and quiet who are hilarious but but take up space in whatever way you take up space mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's, and it's don't apologize right for i was just gonna say it's yeah. essentially about not asking for permission yeah yeah it's not a permission-based thing. I mean, unless you're, like, standing on someone's foot, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, sorry. Sorry. I'll, I'll step to the side and still say what I need to say. I just won't stand on your foot when I'm doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, shit. There was something I wanted to say along those lines. Um, oh, uh, my therapist actually told me um, this beautiful thing, and it's really stayed with me, which is there's no difference between men and women, but there is a world of difference between masculine and feminine energies. Mm -hmm. And no matter the gender of the person, those energies can be in a real flux. And when somebody can take on, you know, what could be termed as masculine energy, which is decisive, dynamic, um, very like, you know, this is where I'm going, you know, point straight ahead, go, 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 get it. You know, what could be termed as aggressive, mm -hmm. you know, just like, or at that's the very least assertive, assertive. Yeah. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Um, whereas feminine energy is a lot more receptive, a lot more, um, you know, softer, not as combative, not as confrontational. And like, there's no good, bad, right, wrong about either of those. And we're all just a mix of all of them, but it's that whole gender binary thing is, I'm mm -hmm. so grateful it's finally getting blown apart, or at least, you know, like the, the tiny controlled explosions around the perimeter of it are happening tiny more and more. Tiny controlled explosions <laughs> around the perimeter, yes. It's true, though, because I feel like there is so much to break down. There is still so much work to happen to really change people's minds. About, and I feel like it's one of the big yeah. things I love about the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. is that it's forcing white people, especially those who have been born into a life of privilege, much like I have, to really con be confronted with this truth that has never been a part of my life. I mean, it has peripherally been a part of my life, but I have never put myself in their shoes, been like, oh, shit, like, mm -hmm. that, that is seriously messed up. And, like, okay, what can we do to change that? I can't wait for that. And that's beginning to happen with feminism. There's that, you know, block of however you want to call it, like straight white male bureaucracy that is freaking out because they, are. they know how powerful you know, yeah. everybody else is. Yeah. And they're desperate to hang on. And I, at this point, I think it's even subconscious and subliminal. A, a lot of men don't realize they're doing it. And, to, and if they can have the courage to wake up and say, oh, actually, these people have a voice. I want to use my privilege to then provide them with a platform and to support them. Yeah, I think really you really see it in kind of the boomer generation. Like yeah. those are the white males that are like white knuckling it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or as I recently heard the silver tsunami. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're the 
ones that, you know, that, of course, the boomers have everything. They've exploited the planet. They they were shitty, terrible parents, I'll say it on the record. Just selfish cunts. And, like, I was talking to my friend that I was talking to this morning about that, too. Like, trying to piece together what made them that way. Because their parents came home from the war. The war was over then they were born, then the world, or at least America, exploded into this wild fantasy of better living through chemistry and sex, drugs, and rock and roll and fast food and, like, everything was for them. And they said, fuck you, mom and dad, and they went on their own way. Like, why? What Were their parents shitty parents? That's the piece that I keep wondering because the boomer generation on the whole, they're such disgusting narcissists mm. it's like donald trump is like their mascot <laughs> you know and like what if narcissism is derived through uh, you know being ignored and neglected in childhood did their parents really ignore and neglect them or or is it this fundamental you know change that happened that just made them all so self-absorbed I, i'm i remain curious about that and i'm gonna seek out yeah absolutely i mean i think it's probably a huge series of factors around all of that yeah um yeah i mean narcissism absolutely happens when you know the kids are not paid enough attention but then paired with that like totally unquestioning idealism of the 50s and like yeah. women, this is your role men that's your role you, this is your goal you want a house in the suburbs with a car and a this and a that and you're ticking off all the boxes and then you suddenly realize you're fucking miserable yeah you just think about and the kids are like uh america like the story of america in the 20th century is like what and so we're all kind of now of a shrinky dink yeah, exactly. And we're in the 21st century, and now we're trying to fix it. You know what I mean? Because we're like, oh, well, the civil rights movement was never really completed. You know what I mean? And and other people also want civil rights. You know what I mean? And so, so now we're in this new era of handling that and also maybe hopefully fix the environment. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if we're even thinking about it. You know, certainly not on a fundamental large policy. As long as big business is has its hands uh, in all of the pockets of the U.S. government, nothing mm-hmm. will happen, unfortunately. And to quote, I, th- I want to say it wasn't Thich Nhat Hanh, but it was some like Tibetan monk or something who said the earth is going to be fine. Humans yeah. are in trouble. And George Carlin has a whole bit of stand-up about that, yeah. too, where that ends in this idea of, like, look, the Earth is in charge. Maybe the Earth wanted plastic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's yes, just yes. so funny. Go look oh, that bit yeah. up. It's so amazing. It's like a 10-minute run on the environment. But the reason I brought all that up is to say that it, it's that generation, I feel, that they're the ones operating with these blinders on, like, I don't hear you, I don't see you, I don't want to, I don't care, I don't participate in this, you know. And the men especially, they have risen through the ranks to have achieved this power, and it's so frightening to a narcissist who lives their life through control to, to feel that they have to let go. Oh, that's equivalent to death. Exactly. That is death. Right. And so that's the resistance that we're dealing with. So I tweeted about Planned Parenthood yesterday, and I said, you know, look, 
women are autonomous. And I know some of you out there don't like it, but you'll be dead soon. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's really, truly the only answer at a certain point. It's like, you're not that I wish you ill, but like the Koch brothers. Not that I ever would wish death on anybody, but it's like, I look forward to them being complete. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, I know that there's probably like mini Cokes waiting to come up through the ranks and, but it's just that sort of like deep axis of evil, you know, like, so it's like, I I look forward to them just being done. Oh, evil is such a a difficult word for me. Mm. I try, because, um... You know, my whole life for the past four years has been about my healing journey. <laughs> You're talking to somebody who works in the healing arts. I'm like, go on, oh. go on. <laughs> um, this is where comics are like, I got to go. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, so I so I have grappled with the idea of evil mm-hmm. because I am a very compassionate person and sometimes to my own detriment, mm. thus codependency and uh was raised to feel responsible for my mother and to have an overabundance of compassion for her dysfunction yeah. and so you know do i want to think about somebody who is sadistic or has sadistic tendencies as evil because that separates them mm. from me mm. And from, I think, hopefully most of us, mm-hmm. you know, does somebody become so corrupt that they're evil and they lose all their humanity? I have a hard time with that. And yet I recognize that that's maybe me just giving more than I should. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Giving more credit than I should because that and that's what keeps me susceptible to hurt. Yeah. So I think about this. I don't really have an answer, but I'm curious about your take. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I thank you for saying that. I mean, the, even the fact of labeling somebody evil as the separator, I mean, I think that's an, it's an incredibly important point because I feel in a lot of ways our world that we know it as Americans living in the 21st century, it's all about conflict. It's all about battle. Um, and when there is that fundamental separation, like, you know, us versus them, that's a massive denial of humanity because mm-hmm. it's, it's not taking into account, well, what do those people feel? What do those people think? Why are they, why do they feel so strongly about that? Why do I feel so strongly about this? Is there a way that we can communicate with this? Is there, you know, some way to find some common ground where we can respect each other and agree to disagree and go about our lives as opposed to, you know, fighting tooth and nail about it. And there's... I mean, there's that beautiful saying there, you can't, what is it? You can't solve a problem by, uh, through the same thinking that created it. Mm. You have to come at it from a completely different angle. And I feel that now more than ever, I mean, our world desperately needs the compassion. The problem is with, and I don't consider many people or entities evil apart from the Koch brothers and Monsanto. Yes. Various, right. Like, and where dictators. do you get to draw that line? Right. Exactly. exactly. Like Joseph Coney or like, mm-hmm. you know, some like people who have so fundamentally lost their humanity that I can't help but wonder if they're possessed because sure. it's so. And, and you do become possessed, right? Like it's, it's, Absolutely. Uh, it's this kind of descent into darkness. Yeah. And then, and then there, I'm sure there is 
a point where you are past the point of no return. Absolutely. And it's the uh, devil card in the tarot. It's being chained to the lower will, which mm. is certainly in the terms of big business is money. You know, like money, money. And that's a lot of money that they have. And, you know, some people, <laughs> they do. They have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. It's not billions of dollars. Yeah, they're, they're billionaires. They're yeah. good billionaires. It's yeah. crazy. And, you know, money talks, unfortunately. And the way our Congress is set up, I can't wait. You know, it's like I love thinking about, or I love listening to Elizabeth Warren speak. You know, it's like finally some she common sense in the U.S. Senate. Fierce. A bit. Yes. And even, you know, somebody like Bernie Sanders, who could also be classified as a fierce bitch in a lot of yeah. ways, I'm sure. <laughs> But, you know, he, they are speaking about, they're speaking truth in a cabinet that could, that either doesn't care or is quashing their own, you know, deep, compassionate, you know, heart-based feelings and, like, call to action in favor of big business. And I know that's, you know, a gross oversimplification because I'm sure there are a lot of people in the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives who do feel extremely strongly about doing the right thing, representing, you know, really, you know, with the honor, with the, you know, the um, respect, the dedication, and then they get railroaded by big mm-hmm. business, you know. But I think it's, it's a very messy answer to a big question. But Well, it's such a big question. We live in such a big country. You know what I mean? In terms of like talking about how this affects our national policies and stuff. Um, I think about that all the time. I think about individual psychology, spirituality, emotionality, Mm -hmm. psychic energy, right? And how that blossoms into the whole and vice versa, how the whole trickles down into the individual. Um, Because I do think that our culture... um, is difficult to navigate. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and like, there are that. a lot of good-hearted people who are trying, you know, um, but the loud voices who are often the corrupt ones uh, really fuck it all up, yeah. you know? Big and time. it's like, we don't all have to be the same. I don't need everybody to be an urban hippie, huppy, yuppie who wants to, you know, live in the city in a multicultural nonstop party. You know, you can be a farmer from the Midwest. That's fine. But just we all have to um, have an openness and at like, I'm okay, you're okay, live and let live thing that we just don't seem to have here. And you would like to blame religious dogma but it's really religion has nothing to do with it. Totally, I feel that it's a it is a deep um, stigma uh, wherein we have been taught to ignore our own feelings because everything that on a very human emotional level, when we can make peace with who we are, with what we're feeling, and being able to navigate what's actually threatening and what's just residue of like really old threatening you know, things from our tiny, tiny early childhood days, Mm -hmm. you know, and we can just sort of like get a lot of perspective on that and balance the playing field in that sense, you know, by basically going in in order to understand what's without. But everything structure wise, you know, like we live and we have to wrap up soon, but, um, you know, it's like buy this product and you'll be complete. And it's like, um, we're all, we're all already complete. Like Mm -hmm. with all of this, um, what's the word, um, like prosthetic, sort of sensibility like oh well, you can't really live properly until you have this product this product mm-hmm. this product and it keeps 
the consumerism, is yeah, this consumerism, and at the end of the day, we all have everything that we need already, and it's about trusting that. Going back to what we were initially talking about, trusting that, getting out of your own way, and speaking your voice, living your life as you know you what want to live it. Drives me nuts about this in terms of capitalism mm. is that the reason why you know the capitalists, the real barons, the Koch brothers, and all the one percenters with all the money, they want the kind of neediness to keep going because they think that that's what drives the economy. Yeah. I'm like, do you not understand that even if I got to feel good about myself, I would still need to buy clothes? <laughs> yeah. Do you not understand that maybe if I felt good about myself, I would still want to adorn my body with jewelry and cute shoes and get a nice haircut and put makeup on? I don't have to feel like shit about myself to keep the fucking economy going. Yeah. And it just makes me so angry because it's such a big lie. Yeah. And it's unnecessary. That's, I just am like, are you real? Like, yeah. and that's the darkness yeah. because it's a greed that wants to make those things dirty. Yeah. And yeah, stigmatize it. So it's like, Ooh, that's a little, mm, mm -hmm. it's a little twist on it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it can make it. And know. I don't want to be dirty. No. I want to be clean. I want to be a good, innocent soul. <laughs> And I'm, I wish I could go on and talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Will you come back? Will you talk oh, some Oh, sure, more? yeah. I would love that. Um, where can people find you? Okay, so this is what's up. I'm doing stand-up all over the town. If you want to come see you know, a show in a club or a bar, um, probably go to my Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash Carolyn Castilia. Uh, but look for Right Now with Carolyn Castilia, my late-night feminist talk show hosted by a woman with all women in the cast, all-female crew, female producer, female showrunner. Occasionally, we let a gay guy on just for kicks. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had one straight white male on because, I mean, I felt sorry for him. So, um, no, he's very talented. Uh, but, yeah, so check that out. It's going to be coming to Brooklyn Public Access probably in November. Um, and we may keep doing some other live shows in different venues. Um, that's it. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. This has been, I feel this is the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> I just talk too much. I love it. I love, God bless it. Thank <laughs> God you have a talk show. Thank God I have a podcast, right? <laughs> Perfect storm. Anyway, thank you so much, Carolyn. Thank you. And there you have it, folks, my interview with the fantastic Carolyn Castilia. Go ahead and follow her on Twitter at Miss CKC. You can follow her on Tumblr and, of course, tune into her show right now with Carolyn Castilia. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. Looking forward to bringing you lots of more great shows coming up. Be well, take care, and I send you all my love. Bye, guys. <laughs>